Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. This meeting is being recorded. Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman. And this morning we have with us uh, Martin Sklar from, let me see if I get the name of your firm correctly, uh, Kleinberg Kaplan. That's correct. All right. Okay, good. And uh, so anyway, welcome to the show. Nice to have you. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Sure. So uh, it's still morning here and I know it is where you are and I'm on my second cup of coffee. What's your morning beverage of choice? Um, normally nothing. I drink orange juice, but I, throughout my whole life, I've started eating around one o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Wow, that's that's impressive. Is that because you're like intermittent fasting, or you just you're not hungry? Just not hungry in the morning. Wow, I'm 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 the opposite. In fact, my wife makes fun of me every morning because as soon as I wake up, it's like I need to eat something. Literally break the fast. That's what it was designed for for me. But of course, I snack late at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's an, anyway interesting. So, um, looks like you're a financial services uh, attorney. Tell us about uh, the type, type of work you do. Uh, sure. So my firm since the 70s has been representing hedge funds. So much of my practice, I'm a corporate lawyer, and much of my practice concerns hedge funds, private equity funds, investment managers. Uh, and we do, I do fund formation, regulation, transactions, and activism. Okay. It, wait, and you, your clients are hedge funds. Generally, right. Hedge. Okay, good, excellent. Uh, you know, once upon a time, we had a business that we sold into uh, Wall Street, uh, primarily on the on the sell side of the street, so investment banks and broker dealers, etc. And they would, we would give them information so they could sell the hedge funds. I'm quite familiar with hedge funds, and we used to profile them, which they're very uh, hard to find information on. Um, uh, right. It's very frustrating for the media because hedge funds are private vehicles. And the, I mean, the SEC has required more and more information to be disclosed. But I've spoken to many journalists over the years who were very frustrated in trying to cover the hedge fund industry. The big ones, I mean, you have to file or you have to file, a, what do you call it, 13 Fs, et cetera, if you have, own a certain amount of stock. And so some of them are more visible than others, but a lot of them are small and under the radar. Right. Well, they, the 13 Fs will give you some idea what securities they're investing in going back a month or two, but you still won't know much about, for example, their performance. If right. you get a uh, hedge fund statement, it'll often have all kinds of warnings about disclosing them to anyone. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I remember the uh, what a lot of people would want to see is their holdings because, you know, Steve Cohen, for example, you know, and maybe he was a client of yours. People want to see what he's buying, right? Because, you know, he, he had a great track record and you wanted to sort of follow suit if you could. Right. So, for example, um, people of that ilk will often use the ability to delay the filing of the 13F so people don't just copy their strategy. Right. Yeah. Anyway, it, it's very interesting. So my, my, my brother who lives in New York City has a small hedge fund that he, uh, he runs today. Oh, you're very familiar. Then. <laughs> oh, very, 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 very familiar with the space. So it's so it's interesting. So give me give me typical uh, type cases that you work on or um, issues. Uh, 
Uh, sure. Well, um, first you have to set up the hedge fund. And oh, so you're involved with that, the whole formation and. Yes, yeah, so we're really okay. on the hedge fund formation. So we start with how to structure it and for, for tax purposes and getting involved with uh, Cayman Council usually to set up offshore and onshore structures. And then we'll deal with the employment issues and the trading issues. Very often clients will call me and say, some CEO just blurted out the following information. Am I now unable to trade? The way Mark Cuban said that in his case, a lot of that happens. And you know, despite what people may see on the TV show Billions, it is not <laughs> usually Great, the yeah. case that they trade on it. Instead, that people are quite concerned about insider trading issues. So I'll advise them on that. Right. And then they might become activists in a particular name, as they call it. And so you deal with possible proxy fights and filing the 13 Ds, announcing what you're doing, press releases, that kind of thing. And then occasionally litigation, um, shareholder litigation, typically we represent the shareholders against some company, for example. Um, oh, so you do, you, you, you take a plaintiff role for the shareholder at, at some, at sometimes? Yes, I mean, I won't do the nuts and bolts litigation, but I'll often be the one to decide whether or not we sue. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll decide whether or not there's a good case under the securities laws and then turn it over to the litigators and work with them. On this occasionally, it's urgent and involves an injunction to get some kind of transaction. What would um, be an example? example? Give me an example of that uh, share, you know, shareholder uh, complaint. That you, that well, the litigate. usual situation would be where a company um does a course of transaction to squeeze out bondholders or a merger that seems to be a sweetheart deal and shareholders object and and the sec almost never stops it themselves they say look you're a sophisticated hedge fund go to court <laughs> and occasionally do in one case uh, sims for example the old retailer they um had a heavily concentrated position the family owned most of the company and they decided to call go dark stop filing sec reports okay so we we fought that successfully and are there the awards are, the, are these like class action lawsuits um, typically the ones we do are not class actions but um, sometimes okay interesting so shareholders do get some awards in, in some of these cases yeah, so I'll give you the well-known example. Uh, we represented bondholders against the government of Argentina. You may have heard of that one. Yes, the government of Argentina uh, defaulted on its debt and decided to settle with a bunch of bondholders, but took the ridiculous position that the other bondholders had to agree to the same settlement. Now, in many cases, indentures so provide that the group can bind each individual bondholder. In this case, they absolutely had no such <laughs> provision in the documents, and yet for 15 years, they refused to pay. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose some people uh, will try to get away with any, anything they can, right? That's, what, that's where you guys come in. <laughs> well, eventually they, they had to settle in order to enter the credit markets, they had to change the government, yeah. and we, we all settled. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. So, so, but you you don't get involved with litigation. Is there a reason for that? Is it that's just not your thing, or? Um, well, it's our our firm is divided up into departments: corporate, real estate, trust, and estates. And we like to have the experts handle each individual aspect of it. Again, I would read the briefs and comment on them and deal with the substantive law. But 
you know, as they used to say, I don't know my way to the courthouse. Okay. Okay. Was that, ne was that never an interest of yours when you went to law school? You never thought that, you know, you want to be in a courtroom and, and litigate. Right. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, I was never the theatrical type, um, counting the table and pretending to believe in positions I don't believe in was, was yeah, never yeah. me. Okay. I also found corporate law to be more constructive at the end of the matter. Usually everybody's happy, you know, merge merger. Usually everyone's quite happy at the end of the day. You have a closing party with yeah. litigation. There's often a winner and a loser, or in many cases, everyone loses because except the lawyers. Right. Except the lawyers. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, good. So why did you become a lawyer? I mean, tell me about that path. Well, I decided very early, around 13 years old, I decided I wanted to be a business lawyer. Really? Wow. Was your dad, is, is that what, was your dad a business attorney? No, my dad was a um, an accountant and corporate executive who probably would have gone to law school had he had the funds. Okay. But uh, there were no lawyers in my immediate family. Okay. What, what, what was the influence? I mean, how did you get, have that thought at, at 13 years old, which is prodigious to have that thought at that age? Well, my family was accountants. I was kind of <laughs> bored by accounting. Um, I could have gone into one passion I have is history. So I could have been a history professor, but I decided that just wasn't real world enough that I'd be in the ivory tower and not really understand what's going on in the real power centers of the world. So I vetoed that. So it's sort of process elimination. Law does do what I wanted it to do, which is I'm involved in all kinds of industries. Not just, I mean, financial services takes you into every other industry. Sure. They invest in them. So if you go into the, you know, you go into the carpet business, you know carpet. <laughs> but I know all kinds of businesses now from my exposure to this oh, area. Okay, okay. So you're involved with other types of industries besides hedge funds sure. um okay. and not everything i do is hedge fund as well recently sure. i worked on um, i worked with a south american group to uh, begin to establish a mount sinai hospital in paraguay so some of what i do is far afield of pure hedge fund work oh i say well because you're in new york obviously financial services is, is the big industry so that makes sense right and people do securities offerings in all areas. So if you're going to write a securities offering document, you have to learn about the industry that they're in. Got it. Got it. Got it. Very good. Um, interesting. Okay. So, uh, so you had this uh, desire at a young age to become an attorney and you found, you found your spot. Um, how, how long have you been at your existing firm? Uh, since 1985. Oh, so, oh, one firm. Well, one, one firm before that, and that's it. Wow, that's amazing. So that's also very unusual, unusual, right? Yes, very, very, very unusual. So uh, yeah, I joined in 85 as a young associate, became a partner in 93, and been here ever since. Wow, so you've, you, you definitely found your spot in life. That's great. I did, I'm happy with the firm. Oh, very good, yeah, yeah. How, how big is the firm and what other kinds uh, of practices? Uh, about uh, 60 attorneys. Okay. And um, our other practices, as, as I indicated, uh, we do a lot of real estate. We do a lot of uh, trust and estates work. We represent, for example, the um, various hedge fund managers, even if we don't represent their hedge fund. Oh, yeah. And you represent them personally for their affairs. Right. Okay. Right. We, we have a sophisticated estates practice. 
and litigation, uh, largely in the shareholder realm, but also general commercial litigation. Okay. And we do bankruptcy, which also relates to the hedge fund practice. Yep. Well, you do, do you also do real estate bankruptcy as well? Foreclosure? Workouts? Um, that kind of stuff? That's unusual. We, we do some of that, but foreclosure is not. Again, we tend to represent the borrowers, not the lenders. We don't really represent banks much. I see. I see. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, if we if we have a client who happened to lend money to someone secured by real property, we'll do a foreclosure. But often the foreclosure will be outside of New York, so you need local counsel for that anyway. Right. Very good. Interesting. Um, any anyone else in your family? You said your your dad was a was an accountant. Anyone else in your family become a lawyer? Um, just a distant uncle. Um, other lawyers, let me think. Uh, well, my, my brother-in-law is an attorney. Okay. Any siblings do you have that, what do they do? Uh, my sister uh, is a retired accountant. Ah, and there you go. Worked in the banking industry. She was also a CPA from what was then the big eight, now the big four. Right. As my father had been a, a junior auditor at a, at a big eight firm. Excellent. Well, what was, the, what was the firm that he worked for that doesn't exist now? Person, yeah, no, no. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I was, I was trying to think of the, some of the ones that went away. They got consolidated. What was the firm? They mostly merged. They mostly merged. My sister yep. was Arthur Anderson. Yep. And they got in some trouble later after she was there. And my father was with Touche, which is now Deloitte and Touche. Ah. So they mostly consolidated. Oh yeah, yeah. Interesting. And now there are all these like you probably are familiar with um. Marsal's right some of these that are just work on restructuring and private equity Alvarez Marsal's like firms like that yes that are like spin-offs probably of all those large right they're there satisfied with all the mergers and dislocations and have formed their own and then uh you know you have a number who had to split off their consulting arms because they have so many conflicts well, it's interesting. I mean, those 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 firms have really uh, sort of broadened what they do, right? It's not just pure accounting. They have consulting. They have they have law practices, right? They they do all kinds of things outside of just you know strict accounting. Sure, the law practice they have to be careful because even if they hire lawyers, they can't really practice law. So they they do the estate stuff up to a point and then refer it out to the lawyers. Yeah. Or legal solutions or legal services, right? Not not necessarily practicing law, but I know they have groups, uh, you know, some of these. Litigation support you're talking about. Yeah, 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 that's right. Absolutely. Now in France, for example, it's all merged. Oh, it is, okay. Yeah. So the, the largest accounting and law firms are the same people by and large. Huh, interesting. And they don't have issues with that? No, they don't. I mean, I don't know what the practical results are. I'm not familiar enough, but uh, they right. don't have a legal problem. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. Okay, very good. Um, so you are a New Yorker all the way through, right? Bred and born. Um, other than college in Princeton, New Jersey. Right, but essentially New York, New York Metro. Yes. It's tough to get New Yorkers out of New. It's tough to get New Yorkers out of New York, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, we view New York as the center of the world, certainly the center of the financial industry. Absolutely. And has remained such. Hopefully will remain such. I hope so. I, it's it's really the engine, I think, of the country. Um, but we're getting a lot of New Yorkers where I live now in South Florida. I mean, 
it's it's the six borough, as they say, right? So you've probably spent some time down here. I have. Um, <laughs> well, my father-in-law was 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 down in Boca for many years. There you go. So I spent plenty of time in the area. Uh, it's very nice, and yes, unfortunately, a lot of our clients <laughs> moved there. Yes. In fact, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the big financial services companies are moving to Miami, or at least opening office, or you know, in, in Palm Beach. I'm I'm right in between. Um, actually, uh, Citadel just decided they're going to move to uh, Miami from Chicago. Did you see that? I did see that. We've done a little bit of work for Citadel over the years, not much, but uh, yes, we we certainly noticed that. Uh, but at least he left Chicago, not New York so much. Right. That, that's, qu that's quite a big move, though. I mean. As was our client, Elliott Management, who moved to Palm Beach. Moved to Palm Beach, yeah. Interesting, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So what, what, what's your opinion on that? I mean, what do you think drives that? Aside oh, from so the obvious, probably. Climate, um, the, there's no question that um, New York risks killing the golden goose and compelling people to move to Florida. But what precipitated immediately was the pandemic. And some people will change their minds. Some people, you know, haven't been there in the summer. And there are issues with the quality of the schools, which I assume will improve over time, but they're not New York. Right. And I expect to see some come back, but I think a good number will not. New York shows no sign of changing its regulatory climate. By some measures, it's, you know, 49th in terms of business friendliness. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's yeah. But uh, from from what from what I understand, anyway, New York is certainly rebounding and is is vibrant again. Things are good. Things are happening. Yeah, we have an apartment in the city, and it's bizarrely vibrant in terms of the number of people out on the streets and all that. I'm not so sure. It's a now younger demographic, and I'm not sure the restaurants will fully recover. And mm. obviously, some businesses like dry cleaning are probably history. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, what is my brother? He lives on the east side. He's he's now around like Sudden Place area. He's always been on the east side, and then uh, I have other family that live on the west side. But I mean, I just see the, you know, the uh, the Instagram stuff, and I just you know I see the videos, and it, lo it looks like this. It's it's quite active again, which is nice to see. Of course, crime is also up, and crime is up. Yeah, That's and you, you get you got an interesting new mayor who's. He's got a different approach to it. Hopefully that will, uh, will prove well. Yes, although we still have a DA who uh, <laughs> is very questionable in terms of his approach. Uh, he just indicted someone who apparently enacted, acted in self-defense and yet he lets other people go. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't see that. Okay, anyway, well, I'm, I'm rooting for New York, so. Um, so, uh, you, you obviously you, you found your place in law. What would you tell somebody if you have any your children? I mean, what would you what advice would you give someone who wants to go into law today? Would you recommend it? And what would you tell them? I do generally recommend it. The problem with law is a lot of people fall into it. I mean, I, you can say I did that when I was 13, but obviously I had a lot of time to think about it between 13 sure. and, and 22. And uh, I knew what I was doing when I got into it. I wanted to do it, I had passion for it. Many people, unfortunately, you know, major in English and don't know what to do when they go to law school by default, which is just a very bad idea. Right. Well, Isn't that a luxury, though? Think about that. Wait, that's a luxury, right? I don't know what to do, so I'm going to go to law school. That's quite a luxury to have that, right? 
Absolutely, but it's often a bad bad decision. And yeah, many yeah, lawyers yeah. are unhappy. Many lawyers leave. Now it is preparation for many other fields as well. It's a you know the discipline thinking and such, but it, it's just not worth going to law school, becoming an associate at a large firm, working very very hard for a couple of years, and finding out you hate the entire profession, which right. unfortunately is very very common. So what do you, I mean? What are the what are the traits and skills that you need to love it and to be good at it? Good question. All right. So uh, first, you need to be willing to work pretty hard, not insanely hard, but you've got to really realize that your weekends will not be secure in many cases. <laughs> that on Friday afternoon, a partner may walk into your office and say, here's how you're spending your weekend. Right. Or on some nights, you may have to stay up all night until the next day. It only happened to me a couple of times, but it's not pleasant. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you have to be able to tolerate a lot of very difficult clients. I mean, clients are sometimes completely unreasonably demanding. And although technology, we'll probably get into this later, but technology has helped in many respects. It's also made things more difficult in some respects. But obviously, people who do well at it have a passion for client service and not doing the same thing over and over again. And there are some areas of law where you do the same thing over and over again. Mine is exactly the opposite. We do new things all the time. We don't have forms for everything. We have to write things. So being able to write and think clearly, obviously, is the most important part. Um, being able to navigate clients. You don't have to be a salesman, but it's also part of the job these days, at least at a law firm. You have to get business. Do you, are you responsible for getting new business yourself? Um, I'm not required to do it because I'm busy, but, you know, I was slow to be a good salesman yep. because I wasn't good at selling something I didn't have yet, my expertise. So in my 30s, I was not good at it. But by the time I was in my 40s, I knew what I was selling. I knew what I was doing. Yep. And the business just came at that got point. <laughs> so you got to be a problem solver. You got to be agile in your thinking. Um, you've got to be able to deal with clients. And you have to have a lot of persistence, I would, I would say. Right? Is that correct? Yes, persistence, persistence is absolutely required. Many have to go through, go through different firms until they find a good place for themselves. You have to pick the right area of law because litigation is very different than trust in the states. It's, you know, it's not at all the same skill set or the same experience. Right. I mean, litigation is fighting all the time, something I can't do. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So what, I mean... I would imagine, you know, finding the right place, right? It has to be mutual, right? It has to be the right culture. Um, you got to find the right type of law. It's kind of like a professor trying to get tenure at a university. It's not so, it's not so easy, is it? I mean, how do you find that right fit? Is it sometimes just lucky? I mean, you, you found, you obviously, you, you know, you, only, you had one other firm, and, but you found your spot. Is that, I don't think that's typical, is it? Nope, not at all typical. Um, I was lucky that I wanted to be a corporate securities lawyer. I did not pick investment management, it picked me. Okay. And we did, we, our firm got it on the ground floor of hedge funds and it was a growth business. And it enabled me to work with some of the smartest people around. You know, not middle management some, from some gigantic corporation. Right. But to, but to really prove myself by working with people who are incredibly sharp. So and who respect say, lawyers. I'm sorry. See, a lot of, in a lot of businesses, they don't respect lawyers. Okay. Lawyers are, are a problem. Lawyers are an expense. Sure. 
Investment managers appreciate lawyers, understand them, and respect them. Really? Why is that? Because they're smart. <laughs> they, they know we help avoid problems. We're not just pushing paper. We're the so-called trusted advisors. Okay. And we're, we're, and we're on an intellectual keel that's at least comparable with them, whereas many of the other people they deal with in life are not. So they view you as like really partners in the business, not adversaries. Absolutely. And even so, when they hire general counsels. Oh, oh no, no, no. That's interesting. So, I mean, when you say this, I mean, do you is that like a generalization or you think most hedge fund managers are very bright people? Most hedge fund managers, the ones who run the hedge funds are very, very bright. I can say that with complete confidence. Interesting. And how big is your sample pool? I mean, but you're probably dealing with a lot of the larger ones, I would imagine, not small hedge funds. Well, no, we, we deal with all size hedge funds. We deal with some of the very largest and we form new ones all the time and we don't know which ones are going to become big. Okay. So we meet often a 29 year old who's forming a hedge fund, who has a strategy and an idea and a track record, but we have no idea if that hedge fund manager is going to grow. So many hedge funds we represent are small. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's a, that's a, it's it's an interesting insight. I, I I met someone recently that um, has a a hedge fund. They just do cryptocurrency, and a really bright guy. <laughs> right. I mean, just a really sharp person. I mean, I, I didn't spend a whole lot of time, but it's very clear the thinking, and you know, just really quick. Um, so that, that's interesting. I mean, you, you can't say that about most professions. I would, you know, leadership. So the not to the same degree, no. Yeah, not to the same and, degree. And a hedge fund manager has to have often a couple of different skill sets that are rare, both detail-oriented and mathematical skills and be able to sell themselves to people to raise money. Right. Extremely difficult to have both. So sometimes there'll be two people running the hedge fund, one who does the trading and one who does the business side and raising money. And that can work. But often it's one person and it's an interesting skill set. Yeah. Because most people are either sort of down in the weeds analysts or business people. Usually it's not both. Got it. And, and, and the hedge funds, particularly the small ones, are they, I'm getting the, the impression that they're more like quantitative as opposed to like traditional, like long, short, they, the stock pickers? Uh, very much both. Um, not that many are just value long only, but long, short is still very quantitative. Okay. To, to, to do the hedging, to, to analyze the companies. It's not the same as program trading or. That's what I mean. Like, you know, running algorithms and things like that. Right. No, it's, it's more strategic algorithms, you know, long-term growth in a, in a company and measuring the intrinsic value versus the stock price. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of leading the witness here a little bit. I'm curious just because I, I get involved with it personally too. And I have my own approach through my uh, relationship. So yeah, no, it's, it, it's, I, I just wonder with, um, you know, how uh, predominant uh, AI is in every industry today, you know, the, the, the new hedge fund manager, like how much they rely on algorithms as opposed to just more traditional fundamental technical analysis approach. Mm -hmm. Depends upon the strategy, obviously. And um, these quant funds have arisen but it's still mostly stock picking on a hedge basis. Okay. Yep. So the algorithms are not trading algorithms per se, they're, they're valuation algorithms. And, and 
producing signals to buy and sell, but not, not trading in milliseconds. There are those who do that, but that's not most of them. Got it. Very good. Okay, I'll stop with the hedge fund analysis, but uh, you, you got a particular interest in mine. <laughs> um, but okay, so let, let, let's talk about technology for a second. Um, obviously, you're dealing with lots of technology with the client base, but for the firm, I mean, how much do you leverage it to help you? Well, um, for my practice, um, cutting edge technology is not that much of it, but going back Going back, of course, my early days in practice, technology has revolutionized the practice of law. When I started, I was in the first class using LexisNexis, <laughs> which predated Google. Um, and the big pressure of the day was not returning emails, but it was beating the FedEx deadline. <laughs> so <laughs> things have changed quite a bit since then. Right. And uh, technology is best and lets you do things you couldn't do before. Right. Like searching, like getting advantage in litigation. But it's not so great when it's just slicing and dicing things you already could do and making more reports and making documents longer. So there, there it can be a downside. Plus, young associates have to be trained to not spend just too much time learning technology, but to learn traditional legal skills like reasoning and writing. Right. So technology is definitely a double-edged sword, but there, there's a great frontier there, um, big data, and certainly we, we use technology all the time, less in corporate than certain other areas, but it's there. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, in the old days, you're, you, you're reading through, uh, you know, cases, right? Now, now you get on uh, Westlaw or some of these platforms that are, that are just amazing, right? They just right. When I first started, it was still the West Keynote system. <laughs> Do you even know what that is? I, I don't. No. It, it was an analog means of doing research, and okay. it was incredibly difficult. Yeah, I, mean, I, just, I just picture you going like this. You know, the library, lots of these journals you're going through and reading. I mean, you know, we we those things don't exist anymore. If you go to college, say, I'm sure you've seen this, right? I mean. You know, uh, libraries are basically places to get together and collaborate, less about, you know, the volumes. Right. I mean, uh, the NYU Law School Library looks nothing like it used to. Right. But there's still books there. I've seen them myself. There are still books. Many, many more <laughs> books out there. I think that's mainly for show, though, and like to uh, brag my rights. You know, the, you know what, university, I, I used to be in the uh, higher ed business, university that publishes the most books of any university in the country. Take a guess. Hmm. If you had to guess, it's a large university. A large university, Phoenix, I don't know. Michigan, University of Michigan. University of Michigan. At least they did at one point. Yeah, they published the most books out of any university. I think it's, I think there's still some bragging rights to, uh, to uh, bound, uh, publications right you can still right in, in the u.s news thing the, the size of your library is still a factor although i can tell you that just again we're on a tangent here but the u.s news and world um rankings it's really garbage <laughs> it's, it's just headline you know clickbait it's 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 i mean people make decisions on that all the time but it's not it's really that's not really the true metric 
I, I would agree. To some degree, though, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because people apply based upon what they see there. But if you compare the various rankings, since they differ so much, you can see that it's not scientific. Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely not. But uh, anyway, it's every every uh, every uh, budding uh, student is looking at those things to figure out where they want to go to school. I always laugh because I always say Michigan is like the coveted place for a lot of kids. They just, everybody has to go to Michigan. <laughs> Anyway, my, my, uh, it's a good school. It's a very good school. My daughter is in, uh, actually in your neighborhood, uh, upstate New York, it's, uh, Skidmore in Saratoga mm -hmm. Springs. So. Good school, right? The liberal arts model. Mm -hmm. Yep. And my, uh, and my son is about to start at Drexel in the fall in Philadelphia. Oh, my son is moving back from Philly this week. <laughs> oh, really? Where, why is he moving back? Um, well, he lives in New York and his job is based in New York, but his uh, fiance was getting her PhD in psychology. Oh, and great. so she was interning there in Philadelphia. Oh, good. Excellent. At Penn? Where was she? No, her, uh, her PhD is from uh, St. John's. Okay. But her internship was at a... At a oh, internship was in Philly. Yeah. Yeah. How did they like Philly? Did they like Philadelphia? Liked it very much. Uh, she's from the general area. Okay. And you like it, but they're moving back. Okay, very good. I'm sure you're happy about that. Yes. Okay, good. All right, well, excellent. Um, I, I have to say you are the first, no, maybe not the first, but you're uh, certainly the first that is spent, spends a lot of time with hedge funds. So I enjoyed the conversation. And uh, um, if somebody wants to learn mo more about you and, and your practice, what's the best way for them to connect? Oh, uh, email me at msklar at kkwc.com. Excellent. Um, well, great. So uh, we'll wrap this up here. Um, thanks again, uh, Martin Sklar from, um, again, I'm sorry, I got to read the name. Kleinberg Kaplan. Kleinberg Kaplan, thank you very much. I'm sorry, I got to keep this in front of me. Uh, and this show is sponsored by Emotion Track, and it is a legal tech platform that uh, litigators primarily use to uh, glean insights for trial and mediations. And thanks again, Martin. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Have you bet. Day.